you're new to Encounter or maybe if you're new in church in general, this is a perfect uh, weekend for you to start attending church and, uh, and attending this one at that. We're starting a new series here at Encounter called Rooted. Um, and uh, it's going to be going on for, for four weeks and we're going to take a, a look at a few different ways that God roots us and God grows this deep faith within us. But first, I just want to start off with an architecture lesson because I know that's why everybody came here today is to learn a little architecture. That was a joke, right on. Um, first lesson in architecture is that the foundation of whatever structure that you're trying to build, the foundation has to be um, at least as big or as wide or as deep or as, as strong or as heavy as the structure itself. I mean, that's like just basic stuff. So whatever you're building, it doesn't matter if it's like a house or a skyscraper. The first thing that you're going to start to do in your building that structure is something absolutely counterintuitive. The first thing that you're going to do isn't like put up walls and put up beans that grow up higher like you want to do. The first thing that you're going to do is start digging a hole in the opposite direction, down instead of up. So you get what I'm saying. The, uh, the bigger the structure, the bigger the hole is that you're going to have to start digging in. Listen, the reason why I think this is so important for us to understand, obviously it has nothing to do with architecture, um, but, but I want us to, to just be amazed for just a minute. I want to be amazed at, at how God does this, not simply in, uh, in helping, you know, giving people the wisdom to put up these massive skyscrapers. I want us to be amazed at how God does this uh, all the time, every day, and how he has for thousands of years. I brought a picture um, with, this is a, it's a picture of a, somewhere off uh, the avenue of the giants, it's called. It's a 30-mile, 31-mile uh, stretch of road through the Redwood National Park in Northern California. Uh, for those of you who maybe can't see, there's a, there's a person uh, standing in front of this massive redwood tree and just looking up in awe and amazement. Uh, the, the reason maybe you, you don't need to actually see it, just not being able to see the person is probably perspective enough for you to kind of gaze up at this incredible structure. But here's the thing. Imagine you're walking through Redwood National Forest and you look up like this person does and just allow the moment to take your breath away. Consider this. The root system that you're standing on is wider than those trees are tall. I, I guess the reason why I'm saying this is, is what should take your breath away has nothing to do with what you see looking up and has everything to do with what you don't see buried right underneath the ground. That's what it means to be rooted. Except for this morning, uh, as we kind of like land this and, and talk about how God is growing this deep faith in us, I want us to also see that a faith like that, a root system like that, it takes an incredible amount of time. And time is something that I'm not sure many of us want to spend. And just this is waiting period. Because there's probably a few people here like me don't appreciate waiting one bit. Um, I had a phone up till recently that... Um, it was one of these older phones that younger millennials would make fun of me for having because I would like tap an app and put it back in my pocket while I'm waiting for Facebook to boot up on my phone. And, uh, and it, it, I called it a spiritual discipline of like, you know, mindfulness, of like living in the moment and just being present and not have, needing to like have everything all the time. And that lasted about a week until a new phone came out and I went and got that one instead to be done with this completely. I don't have many enemies in life, 
But, but that spinning beach ball on my computer is probably my nemesis, right? You, you, you get it. I don't, like 11 years I've been married and I still haven't figured out that asking the question, are you ready yet, doesn't actually help anybody get ready any faster. But I'm getting there. You laugh because you understand. You've been there. You know. You don't like waiting for a job. You don't like waiting for a career change. You don't like waiting to get done with school. You don't like waiting for the right person to come along in your life. Nobody does. Some of you might even be like green light honkers. You know what I'm saying? When you're at the stoplight and as soon as the light flips, it takes about one second for you to start honking at the person in front of you to go. I'm usually the person in front of you that's not going. My car has 95 horsepower. It's incredible. And it just takes me a little while. So chill out. This is Grand Rapids, not Chicago. And speaking of Chicago, some of you have been waiting 36,463 days, I looked it up, for your home team to win the World Series. Too soon. Too soon. I get it. It's cool. Go Cubs, go. Go Cubs. Um, Listen, we don't want to wait. And, and fortunately, uh, this is not a sermon on patience. Uh, I'm in no way qualified to give that. Um, I, I think most of us approach this waiting period with such anxiety and such dread because the underlying assumption is that waiting time is wasted time is that when we can't see anything happen, when we can't see ourselves growing, especially as it relates to our faith life, when we don't see ourselves get immediately closer in our walks with Jesus, it's like, nuts to this, I'm done. I mean, I'm getting off. God obviously doesn't care about me, or he's neglected me, or he doesn't have a plan for me. If he did, I would have seen something break through the ground by now. So part of me, I just want to say, friends, like if you're in this season of impatience or this season of waiting and, you, and maybe you want to be closer to God, but like he hasn't shown up, and so you're questioning the entire thing. I just, I want to, if we could sit down at a table and just have a conversation, I would tell you that, I would tell you that waiting time is not wasted time. I would tell you that just because you can't see something happening doesn't mean that God isn't up to something. I would tell you that some of the most important changes and some of the most important discipleship shifts in your life, in your soul, happen just beneath the surface. And to get to that place where your, your faith is as towering redwood way up in the sky, you have to have a root system that's at least as wide. We're going to go to a story in the Bible where God makes this uh, abundantly, abundantly clear and also terrifying at the same time. It's in the book of 1 Samuel. We're going to go to chapter 16. There are Bibles in front of you. Feel free to look it up. The words are also going to be on the screen behind me. Of course, if you don't have a Bible at home or if you like ours better, go ahead and take it. We give them away every week and we, and we love that. Just to set up the story a little bit, uh, 1 Samuel, it's in the Old Testament, kind of the beginning of the Bible. It happens a long time ago. There's a king in Israel reigning. His name is Saul. It's the first time there's ever been a king of Israel outside of God himself recognized in that office. There's a king named Saul in Israel who used to be a great, great king. Emphasis on used to be a great, great king. It gets to the point where God says to his man, his prophet, Samuel, he goes, listen, it's time. We're going to make some changes around here. He goes, get your, your horn of oil. That was the, the instrument that they used to nominate the next king. Grab your horn of oil, go to Bethlehem and anoint a new king. 
You go from like this capital region with people all around to Bethlehem, which geographically is in the middle of nowhere. It doesn't matter where it is. It's like as far away as you can get. It's on the very, very outskirt of the nation uh, of Israel within their borders, but just barely. It's in the boondocks somewhere where very, very few people live. Very few people have even heard of it. But go, go to Bethlehem, find a guy named Jesse. Jesse's got a whole bunch of kids. Get, like line them up, tell them you're there to sacrifice or something like that, just whatever it is. Get everybody there and I'll show you, God says to Samuel, I'll show you who the next great king of Israel is going to be. So Samuel does. He finds Jesse and Bethlehem way out there. He calls all, you know, all the kids together. And, and, he's, and the kids are kind of walking in front of Samuel. And, and the, the idea is that God is going to tell Samuel, and Samuel is going to tell them just who this next great king of Israel is going to be. And we pick up the story just after the first one walks in front of Samuel, and this is what happens. Verse 7, he says, But the Lord said to Samuel, Don't, listen, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected, I have rejected him to the first kid. Listen, this was the one who's biggest and who's strongest. This is the one that Samuel and apparently everybody else looked at and go, Oh, you know, he's a king. He looks like a king. If you if you're sensing that maybe this word rejected is a bit harsh, I want us to also understand in this, in this line, God isn't just rejecting one person. He's rejecting the whole idea for, for the nation of Israel, God's people, to pick a king based on who looks like a king. That's how Saul was picked. He was tall, he was handsome, he was rugged, he was strong. He just kind of looked like a king should look. And, and so they naturally picked him. And everything was fine for a while. Now when it comes time to the next one, God rejecting the guy who looks like a king, is God saying, listen, there is going to be a clear distinction, a clear new path on what we're going to do in the, the direction that I'm going to take this organization, the nation of Israel. We're going to do things a little bit differently this time. So one by one, they all go in front of them. Next, next line. Okay, th this is probably, if you haven't been to church in a while, or, or maybe like at all, and you're not very familiar with the Bible, this line, you might have a chance uh, of remembering. It's, it's that popular. It says, this is qualifications. The Lord does not look at the things that people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Listen, I'll say it again. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. There are leadership books, seminars, whole conferences, like, like revolving around this one idea that everybody, people look at the outside and God has a way of staring into the inside and knowing what's in there. You know, forget about like leadership, just development, all this other stuff. I just, I want us to see kind of like two clear applications of this. One has to do with the outcome, what, what success is according to God. And the other one for right now has to do, has everything to do with process. I say it has everything to do with process. Because you know how old David was when he was picked? By the way, spoiler alert, David gets picked as the next great king of Israel. It happens later. But you know how old he was? When, he get, when, when God offers these words. He's something like, like 10 to 13 years old. I mean, he's fourth, fifth grade kid when this happens. I think this is God's way of like staring down and saying, listen, I'm not just messing with you here. 
when I pick a fourth grader to be the next king of Israel. I think what God knows in the back of his mind, and he's trying, he's trying like crazy to get us to understand, is that, is that leaders, and I'm using the, lead, the phrase leader like, like in a biblical sense, like, like a disciple, like, like people, people who grow a wide root system, a deep root system, like those redwoods have. People that have cultivated like that, those are not just like found somewhere and picked. God's people don't just get found and picked. God's people are grown. When it comes to discipleship, when it comes to to faith life, faith doesn't just necessarily happen all on its own, like like this weed growing up. Like, what did you have to do? Plant weed? No, no, I just did nothing, and it just kind of grew. Faith doesn't just happen like weeds grow. What God knows is that this this good king of Israel is going to have to not just be picked, this king is going to have to be grown. So God picks the one. (laughs) Maybe fourth, fifth grade, and says, nah, I see something in him. He's a kid. I know there's like very, very, very little to see. But God says, you know, this is someone that I can work with. Because faith isn't picked up somewhere. Faith is grown. And that process takes time. That might take more time than any of us are comfortable with spending. But it takes time. Listen, this is, this is what happens next in this story. All, all the other kids passed by. Verse 8. Jesse called Abinadab, the next kid, and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shema pass by, and Samuel said, nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. And so he asked Jesse probably the most awkward question we can ever imagine, somebody asking a father, hey, are these all the sons you have? (laughs) I told you to get all the sons together. Is this everyone? And Jesse responds, "Um, they're still the youngest, Jesse answered. He's tending the sheep. Okay, Samuel, Samuel the prophet comes to town. In that day and age, the prophet, like Samuel, is, is a president. He's the evangelist, like Billy Graham or something, a pop figure like Oprah, like whatever. He's this person all rolled into one. Samuel comes to like little old Bethlehem on the outskirts of town and this huge celebrity, this faith giant comes to town and says, Jesse, get all your sons together. Like, you know, we're going to do a sacrifice or, you know, false pretense. Just get everybody here and I'll tell you what's happening. When a figure like that comes to town, you get everybody together. Like, you call everybody in. You call your friends your neighbor. Hey, Samuel, like, he's coming to visit me. Look at me. You listen when he says to do something. Somebody's got to look after the sheep. It's not... Samuel is giving him the benefit of the doubt. Jesse, are these all the sons you have? It's not that Jesse, it's not that Jesse just slipped his mind and forgot about his youngest son, David. Now the truth is much worse. The truth is that Jesse didn't think David mattered. He didn't care. Somebody has to, has to tend the sheep, it might as well be the little one. He's fourth grade. Maybe it's even too big of a job for him. We'll see. But the, the adults have, have important work to do. He calls everybody together. Are these all the ones you have? Okay, well, there's one tending the sheep. 
Verse 12, so he sent for him. Samuel said, send for him and will not sit down until he arrives. By the way, this is like a huge uh, cultural phenomenon, cultural practice where everybody stands up at attention because there's a royalty in their presence. They all kind of knew what was happening. It didn't matter if it took minutes or hours. If a queen or if a king or prince or princess or something was coming to town, however long it took for them to get there, they would stand at attention and out of respect until that king made his way to that place. And now, if you can imagine seven older brothers standing at attention for probably hours, waiting for one of them to go tell David to come in. They all knew exactly what was happening. They knew it was going to be David. And this is what happens. Verse 12. So he sent for him and he had him brought in. Uh, David, curious phrase. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. Okay, we just, just got done saying that God is going to like take this country in a different direction. We're no longer just going to pick people that kind of look like kings. So the next king is going to totally look like a king. Like, wait, what? <laughs> I mean, you look at it, it, just, it doesn't make any sense. Remember, remember, key to understand, um, he's a fourth grader. This is not like, this is less article from GQ and more like grandma's birthday card. He's adorable. You should have met him. He's so handsome. I mean, that's how we read it, okay? That's kind of the subtext. It's in there. Um, <laughs> then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. <laughs> this is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and he anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully on David. He was fourth grade at the time. Maybe 10, 13 years old, something like that, preteen. You, you just imagine that maybe, maybe dinner that night had a different, different feel to it. I'm the youngest of three brothers. I know how much uh, I got picked on. There's like a pecking order, right? <laughs> These He's got seven older brothers. And, you know, he, and he's, the, he's the runt of everybody, right? So you just imagine that uh, mealtime, he, he was kind of the, the one left out. You know, if he wasn't off, like, tending the sheep somewhere or doing their chores, whatever there was, uh, the, whatever there was to do, if he ended up making it, he was the one that was forgotten about. That night, I submit to you, he got the mashed potatoes passed to him first. <laughs> He's the anointed next great king of Israel. Like, like the family dynamic kind of has a, a, different, a different feel to it from then on out. At least for that day. And maybe the next day. And the next. But over time, over a lot of time, what ended up kind of like happening, I think is that the brothers sort of forgot about it. You know, there's other stories that take place where the brother brothers are like, no, 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 we have important things to do. And David, little David in the family, no matter how old he is, he's always little David. That's a play to the youngest. This is my therapy. I'm kind of getting it all out here. Little David is the one that's forgotten about, even though he's the anointed next great king of Israel. But as months turn into years, that became a thing of the past. You know, the scary part, this is why I think it's a scary thing to read a, a passage like this, is that months are turning into years and are turning into decades and like nothing happens. Maybe some of you have been in that place 
where you've asked God to show up. You've asked God to do something that you think he should do. God, I need a sign from you right now that you care and that you hear me. It is not too much to ask. Some of you I have prayed those things with. God, it is not too much to ask that, that you show that you are still around. Please, and if you can't or if you won't, then would you just give us the faith to see that you're good for your word? God, would you give us that, please? And the answer that God gives isn't yes, it isn't no, it's wait a little longer. And you think, has he forgotten me? Has he neglected me? Or maybe he just doesn't care about me. And the hard answer, at least that comes out of this, is waiting time isn't wasted time. Just because we can't see God at work doesn't mean he isn't actually at work underneath the surface. He's growing something. He's doing something. He's changing things. I brought something along here. We've got a, uh, a plant. This is a chili pepper plant because it's a shameless plug for our series. Uh, I mean, for our uh, chili cook-off happening, four to six. Vote for me later on today. You see the little peppers on here? This is good. Uh, it's a little withery. It was left out in the frost, but it's still alive because it's rooted. You see what I did there? It's making up for the... No, the reason why I, just, I brought this, I wanted you to see it, is that when you plant a seed in the ground... Before you see it like spring up, you know, and green out of the earth, it already starts to grow this root system underneath. Jesus said in John 15, he goes, I'm the vine, you're the branches. And you know what? In me, you're going to bear fruit. You're going to grow something good to eat. But you got to stay connected to me. The image that Jesus introduces us to is the one where a seed is planted probably a long time ago in a far different season. And it takes us that long, season in and season out, to see what it is that God is growing in us. The promise to David is that he would be a great king over Israel. And as we can see, God did make good on that promise. David was the best king ancient Israel ever had. In fact, God made a promise to David that one of his ancestors, one of his children's children's children, is going to sit on the throne and never, ever have that throne being taken away from him. Jesus Christ, God on earth, has been called, using the title, Son of David. David. Jesus ended up being born in that backwoods town of Bethlehem, so far away from the geographic center of, of the world, of everything, of J Jerusalem, the capital. David would go on. If, if you take a Bible, today's Bible, and you just like open it up halfway, chances are you'd open it up and fall in the book of uh, Psalms. There's 150 psalms, they're, they're prayers, they're words, they're songs that, that were written a very long time ago that people still use to, to articulate what's happening inside of them to God or, or to articulate maybe where God is to, to us. About 75, half of the psalms in that book were written by David. We use the words of David to hear God speak to us even today. What, what I'm saying this is that there's fruit to David's life. But it took a lot longer to get to that place than we ever thought. There's 31 chapters in the book of 1 Samuel where we're reading from. 31 chapters in the book of 1 Samuel. And David doesn't become king in any one of those. In fact, it isn't until the next book of the Bible, 2 Samuel chapter 5, verse 4, where we see... That David was 
30 years old when he became king, and he reigned for 40 years. Two components of that. He was 30 years old when he became king. He was 10, maybe a little older, when this thing started. This process of developing roots took an incredible amount of time. And fortunately for us, it's one of the most documented stories in the Bible of just what God is up to. This series is about exploring what's happening underneath the surface, how God grows us wide to support this towering redwood of faith that we see. Listen, Jesus told this story again. He picked it up, and he told the story of of a a farmer that went out. He's just kind of throwing seeds. And some of the seed lands on the rocky terrain, and it just sprouts up and grows almost, you know, immediately. You look at that, and you go, like, that's something right there. Look at what God is up to there. It's an incredible thing. And then just as quickly, the sun comes out and just scorches it, dries it up. Jesus is telling this this parable, this story. He goes, listen, it's it's like it didn't even matter. It was gone as quickly as it popped up. But no, it's the seed that fell along the good soil. It fell in, it took time, but it, it got established. It became rooted. Just because we can't see what's happening doesn't mean God isn't at our work. It doesn't mean that God has forgotten you. It doesn't mean that God has neglected you. It doesn't mean that God doesn't care. Waiting time isn't wasted time. You ready for some, for some real talk? <laughs> this weekend... Just like every week, I love, I love coming to church every weekend. I think this is the highlight of my week. I, well, I work like 20 minutes a week, so it's, it doesn't take a lot. But like, I love coming here and doing this and worshiping together. I think it does. It reorients my whole week around, around God and the things that matter. This is not the place where I or you are going to get rooted. Is that roots don't happen here only is that some of the most growing experiences of your life will not be in this place. It'll be outside of these walls. It'll be in real life. It'll happen in the secret place. It'll be happening when you're alone. It'll happen when you're serving somewhere, sometime. It'll happen in in real community where you're being vulnerable and accountable to, to some other human who isn't you. And it's gonna take an incredible amount of time But friends, the fruit will be worth it. George uh, Whitfield was was a preacher in like the 1700s. This is an incredible story. Yeah, he was preaching before, you know, this was a country. We're still English colonies. And, And he would get on a box in an open field and he would tell everybody about a God who wasn't just a far off deity somewhere, but a God who was here and a God who mattered. And as he was telling people, he started to reach these crowds would come around him. People would come in and pack in and surround this person just with this message of of God being real and alive and and like uniquely present and and able to to change people from the inside, which is what God cares about. And and as Whitfield is like preaching these messages, there was one person, a skeptic, who heard about this and he thought, this can't be possible. Remember, this is a time before electricity. So there's no like microphone, there's no PA system. 
system. There's none of that is around. He's had to like shout to the crowds and he would like go on for hours and hours, right? So Ben Franklin, the skeptic, thought there's no possible way that thousands of people would gather around and like listen to somebody talk at them for a couple of hours and they could barely even make out what he was saying. Franklin goes to one of the, the services that Whitfield was putting on and he saw this massive crowd and he thought, I, I have to understand like how big this crowd is. So what Franklin does is he like walks in a, a kind of a circumference semicircle. Remember pi r squared from like, you know, geometry class, and I, right? To get the area of a circle. And then he says, well, there's probably, you know, two square feet per person. He's just to estimate how big the crowd was. He came up with 30,000 people. Ben Franklin, the skeptic, said Whitfield was reaching this crowd of 30,000 people in a day and age before microphones. Somebody came up to Whitfield after one of the services, and he goes, George, that was incredible. How many people got saved today? And Whitfield's now famous reply was, I don't know. We'll have to check back in six months. We'll have to check back in six months because God is less interested in the seeds that just shoot up with something green immediately and he's more interested in what's happening below the surface, digging down roots, digging down into a plant that will grow up and be one of those towering redwoods of faith pointing towards God in heaven. But first, it needs a root system to support itself. Listen, we all want our dreams, we all want our ambitions, we all want our vision to happen, not later, but right now. I get it, I'm there too. I don't want to like grow closer and closer to God over a course of 80 years. I want this to happen like now, preferably yesterday, right? But if you take one thing, one message away from this time together, I hope that it's this, is that God is more interested in developing you God will always develop you before he develops your plans, your ideas, your dreams, or your visions. God cares less about the external things in your life than he does about you. And friends, if you have embarked on this journey, this journey of following after Christ, what, have you, what you have said what you have said is that Ed, I am in for God to take anything around me, any purposes, any external circumstances, whatever it can be, and if it grows me, and if it roots me, and no matter how long that it takes, and no matter how long it hurts, listen, if it roots me, God be praised. God be praised. I'm in. That should scare us. We heard the story from Jim during the offering time. It, what I love about that story is that, is that it takes all of the garbage in his life, all of the things in his life that just, no kid should ever hear. If you, if you heard it from the story, you just imagine what it would be like to, to be that kid in elementary school when the, when the teacher holds up an art project and says, I could chew this out better than he cut this out. No kid should ever have to hear that. No kid should ever have to learn that language of lament to God in saying, I regret and I lament that, that you have made me just smart enough to know how truly dumb I am. That's not something that kids should have to learn. 
And if it wasn't for God developing this root system, if it was just something that like sprung up, it would wither and it would scorch overnight. But it's because God made this root, this deep root system, and made it wide to support this towering faith. Because God did that, Jim can now stretch back and look back, not over months, there's no way, or days, not years, but decades, and look back and just say, I could see how God was shaping me and and putting everything, ADHD, dyslexia, putting everything in the place to make me into the person that I am, giving me the spouse that I have. Is that God cares more about my heart and my soul, what's happening on the inside, than he does anything on the outside. And if that's what it takes, God be praised. God be praised. God be praised. Friends, my prayer for you as you got into the week is that you're going to know. You're going to know that God cares about your faith is that you're going to know that waiting time isn't wasted time, that you're going to know that just because you can't see God at work doesn't mean that he's neglected you and forgotten about you and doesn't care about you, is that God is developing you, is growing you, is discipling you. We're going to pick it back up next week and we're going to start to see some of those hidden places where God grows us. When we're alone, when we're serving in real authentic community. I invite you to stand up. Let's pray together. Let's pray to the God who grows us as wide as he will grow us tall. Gracious God, that's our prayer this week. May we see you. God, as we, as we see in each other growing up and growing wider, God, we pray that we can point and that we can celebrate your good work. God, you care not only about how quickly we grow, but you care about the long-term fruit. God, may when people bite into the fruit of our life, may they, may they be transported into someplace close to you where they can taste not just our endeavors and work, but where, Lord, they can taste you, Jesus, in our lives, that miracle. We pray all of these things in the risen Son, Jesus Christ's name. Amen.